Well, good morning. We're glad to see you today. We want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. Glad you could be here on Labor Day weekend. Some people actually came today. People have been staying away because of COVID, but here you are. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm so glad you're here. Tell them that right now. Yeah. Now look at me and tell me you're glad I'm here. No, I'm just joking. Just joking. Just a little humor there, okay? Well, listen, we've been in this series, and this is the sixth of ten sermons. So if you haven't been here for the past sermons, you can go online, pick them up, and you can read the last few that we've done so that you're not completely lost. Now, the message title today, if you want to know what the title is, is Nick at Night. That's what it is. See, you thought that was a relatively new term, didn't you? No, biblical. It's been around for a long time. Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night. Nick at night. Stay with me. You'll learn things, okay? All right. Now, have you ever noticed that some professions don't get enough credit? For example, my wife, Laura, is a teacher, and I just think teachers are wonderful. In fact, I love one, and, uh, and, and so I'm grateful for them. And, and, you know, they work really hard, and, and so sometimes they just don't get enough credit for that. And, you know, they're kind of kicking off school here in the last few weeks. So I want to think about them. And then also, what about EMTs, emergency medical technicians and paramedics? Do you know these people? Now, I'm going to tell you a quick story. I'll try to make it fast. You know, these people, they come into a situation, they don't know anything. They get information and misinformation. They have to diagnose everything, and they just go to work. They don't say, why were you doing that, you moron? They just go in and start working on people and helping them out. Didn't you know this was going to hurt? You can die from this kind of stuff there. What are you thinking? They don't do that. They just go in, they see the problem, and they are solving the problem, right? Is there anyone in here? Have we, have we started yet? Is this just dress rehearsal? Is there anybody here today? I'm going to yeah, start over. Yeah, you wish that I'd start over. Ray's back there going, just get on with it already. All right, so here's the deal. Um, they come in and they do all that stuff. Now, when our daughter Catherine, our second daughter, when she was a baby, I mean just a few days old, she, we gave her formula, we burped her, we did everything you're supposed to do, we rocked her, and then we set her down in a bassinet right next to the bed, and she started choking, and she scared us to death, and we jerked her up and did everything wrong, but we called an ambulance, and that ambulance got there in record time, and this guy came in, and he took that newborn baby, and he took his hand, and he went like this on her stomach, and she went, and spit that milk out that was caught right there. And we said, thank you, Jesus. And thank you, too, Mr. Medical Person, because without you, we'd be in a world of trouble. Now, isn't it interesting that Catherine now, today, is an EMT, that she saves people's lives, and she's studying to be a paramedic. They're paying for her to do that. And so I appreciate them as well, because they got a tough job. I've learned more about it. And so anytime you see an ambulance going through town, and it's just flying. Every time we see it, Laura said, there goes Catherine. Of course, Catherine doesn't live here. Catherine lives in Pensacola, but we imagine that it's her, okay? Because we're parents, and that's what we do. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, 
You know, what we want to talk about today is that some people are part of the solution, some people are part of the problem. And so what I want you to see is that some of the people that you're going to learn about today, some of the religious leaders in the day of Jesus were people who were always watching Jesus, always watching the disciples, always trying to find something that they did wrong, always trying to point out if they're breaking the law because they're trying to do the right thing. They really are. It's their understanding of God and what they've been taught all their lives. Jesus comes along and he blows all that stuff out of the water and they really are confused by it all and they're threatened by it. <clears throat> and so today you're going to see where they're critical. They're trying to trap him, trying to catch him, and we'll see that. And, and so today we want to be people who are part of the solution, not the problem, okay? I want you to look at the person next to you and say, which one are you? Now, depending on their response, you probably know which one they are, right? Or maybe you know, and they don't know. They've never been informed. And so you can straighten them out, but not right now, not during my time. You'll have to do that later, okay, because this is my time, okay? We're in the middle of this series, and Jesus has come to establish a brand-new relationship. We've said in this series that God established a relationship with Israel, and it was a covenant. And he said, I want to... He brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of bondage. They celebrated Passover where the death angel passed over their house. They were protected. They had a covenant. They are God's chosen. They are special people. And so God said, you have a relationship with me. But then Jesus comes along and says, God is not exclusive. God says you can have a relationship with everyone. Everybody can have a relationship with him. Now, the Jewish people have been taught all their lives we don't dress like those folks. We don't eat like those folks. We don't associate with those people. We're special. We're unique. We're chosen. And we want to be obedient to God. And they really were trying to do the right thing as they understood it that God had taught them to do. And Jesus says, no, it's not limited to you. It's for the whole world. And, and then he goes on and he talks to them some more. And it's so confusing to them because he's establishing a brand new covenant. And there's a new movement that's going to take place because of Jesus, and it's called the church. And you are a part of that movement today. It's still going on today. It's living and breathing, and it's still reaching people today. And Jesus shows up, and immediately he always draws a crowd, and then he disturbs the status quo. Things are just set. They're fixed the way they like them. Are you a creature of habit like I am? Do you like to do things and have a routine? You know, I do this, I do this, and because I'm diabetic, I have to do it on time and make sure I take care of certain things. Well, we all like that, don't we? And yet God says, you know, you really can't depend on anything or anyone but me. And so sometimes I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do that in your life as an individual. I'm going to do it in people's lives in a church community. I'm going to do a new thing. And so you have to be open and ready for that to occur. Now, the men who controlled the temple understood that Jesus was a total departure from everything that came before, and I'm going to show you how today in this message. In fact, when Jesus was eventually arrested, they got some people that they brought forward. They got them to lie and make up all kinds of things about him, about Jesus and say that he did this and that. One of the things that they said that he was doing, that he was accused of, <clears throat> he was inciting people into rebellion. That's what they saw it. One day Jesus and the disciples 
are walking through a wheat field and it's the Sabbath and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath and they start breaking off uh, the grains of wheat and the heads of the grains of wheat and they start eating them because they're hungry. And the Pharisees look at them and say, aha, aha, you're breaking the law. You're working on the Sabbath. Your disciples, why are they doing that? And they're all wrong. And they get into this argument and Jesus finally says, you're so concerned about the law. So am I. I'm a Jewish man. And you're so concerned about, um, also about the temple. So am I. I'm a Jewish man. But don't you recognize something new has come? And then he says something that just really, it, it, it blows them out of the water. They can't understand what he's talking about. He says this, look at me. Something greater than the temple is here. And they can't imagine anything greater than the temple because the temple is the epicenter of Jewish life. The temple is where they keep the Torah, the law. The temple is where God lives. And so nothing could be greater than the temple. And he's saying, I'm standing right here and I am greater than the temple. The temple is this huge, beautiful building. And it's so structurally sound, they built it so it would be earthquake proof as much as they could. And he's saying, I'm greater than the temple. Well, if he's greater than the temple, that means that the temple is no longer necessary. And that means that their nation is no longer necessary as they know it. That Jewish life is totally different. And Jesus makes this statement that makes no sense. He says, something greater than the temple is here, right here. Now, I want you to understand in the first century, when people talked about things that were sacred, they talked about geography. That place over there is sacred. That building is sacred. This is a sacred site, okay? And Jesus came along and said, the space for sacred has changed. Sacred is now right here in your heart and mine. Sacred is who we are to God because he set us apart. Because of Jesus, we can be forgiven of our sins. And Jesus' kingdom, they were looking for the Messiah to set up this new powerful kingdom to be in charge and to throw the Romans out so that they wouldn't be occupied. They wanted things to be the way they were with King Solomon and King David. And Jesus says, my kingdom's not like that. My kingdom is a relationship right here in your heart with God and everybody is invited to be a part of it and that just really disrupted everything with the Jewish leaders in those days and so some of the people thought Jesus is going to be a, a, the Messiah he's going to just go around and he's not even going to take names he's just going to wipe everybody out get them out of the country and then we can go back to being the special people that we are but the more discerning people who were listening to Jesus began to sense that perhaps he was up to something different because Jesus spoke with extraordinary authority. The people said, we've never heard anybody teach like this, but he wouldn't take over. He wouldn't take charge. Almost immediately, he had a big crowd, but he wouldn't wear the crown. He had extraordinary power and influence over and over, but he refused to leverage that power and influence for his own sake. And in John, the third chapter, it says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member, 
of the Jewish ruling council, there was a man. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. I think we've moved on to the next one. Who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. There we go. We're back. Okay? And the Jewish ruling council was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was like parliament and the Supreme Court brought together, rolled into one. And Nicodemus started at the lowest rung of the ladder and he worked his way up through religious status. And now he's a part of this elite group of people. It's like the Supreme Court, okay, for the whole nation of Israel. They represented Israel to Rome. Now there were about 22 to 70 men who sat on this council, the Sanhedrin. And in John, the third chapter, it says, he came to Jesus at night and said, Nick at night, see, I told you. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Every one of Jesus' supernatural acts actually was a sign pointing in a direction. And Nicodemus understood nobody could do that unless God had sent them. Now, I want you to catch the significance of this. Nicodemus is this guy with authority. Nicodemus is this religious leader. Nicodemus is the guy who's been following the letter of the law. He meets Jesus. He watches Jesus. He observes what Jesus does. And he says, this guy's special. This guy has been sent by God. Nobody can do the things he's doing if God didn't send him. I don't understand it all. I can't explain it all. But this guy is special. And before Nicodemus can ask his question, then Jesus replies to him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Okay? Now, this was really confusing to Nicodemus. As you can imagine, it would be confusing to us. What does it mean to be born again? What do you mean I can't see the kingdom of God? I'm Jewish. If I'm Jewish, I'm the only one who can see the kingdom of God. Everybody else can't. The Jewish people in the first century, listen, they compared the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel as being synonymous. They said, listen, I'm a part of the kingdom. What are you talking about? What do you mean I won't see the kingdom of God? Of course I will. And what's Nicodemus saying? He was saying, I was born into it. I'm a Jew. Of course I'm going to see the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no, you must be born again. So just because you were born a Jew doesn't mean that you can have this relationship with God that I'm talking about. And Nicodemus is going, I've never heard anything like this before. And then he says, you must be born again. Then he goes on and he says, and, and Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And then it goes on and Jesus answers. And he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. And Nicodemus is going, I don't understand what. Jesus continues then and says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And then he tells them this to explain it a little bit. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
Jesus is saying the spirit is like the wind. You know it's wind. You see the effects of the wind. You hear the wind, but you don't know where it came from and you don't know where it's going. So it is with the spirit of God. Je Jesus says, Nicodemus, I understand our forefather Abraham. God made him a promise that he would become a great nation. God had told Abraham, he had promised him, I am going to, to make a great nation from your heritage, from your seed. And there's going to be a whole nation of people who come from you through your lineage. And he and I'm going to bless them. But, it, but what he was saying was, uh, that wasn't just going to be the Jewish people. Jesus is saying, yeah, we are a nation today, and that has happened. But wh what I've come to tell you is there is a new covenant now with God and mankind, and it's not limited exclusively to Israel. Israel was a means to an end. Now the whole world can have that. God, through Moses, made an exclusive covenant with our people, and he gave us commandments and rules and restrictions. But Nicodemus, God, is not exclusive. He's like the wind. He's like the spirit. He moves outside the confines of our people and the covenant with him. And God does not live inside the temple. See, they'd always been taught that God was in the temple. He lives in the temple. He resides in the temple. God is a spirit, and the Israel is a means to an end. And now, in the end, the entire world will be given an invitation to know God and have a relationship with him, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. His invitation is extended to everyone, and entrance into the kingdom of God requires a second birth. You must be born. Again, Nicodemus didn't have a category for any of this. How can this be? Now, I want you to notice this. Nicodemus is not saying, you know, I, I'm, I refuse to believe what you're saying. Nicodemus is trying to listen. He's trying to be open to Jesus. He knows that Jesus is a godly man. He knows that God sent him. He sees what Jesus does, but he's bewildered, okay? He's going, okay, I don't understand. Explain it to me because he's open. He's listening, He's trying to understand. He's going, please tell me. And you know, that's a good news for us today because you and I, sometimes we read the Bible and there's parts of it we don't understand. We can't understand everything. And we don't have to understand everything. Nicodemus says, I don't understand everything, but I'm listening. I'm open. I'm ready to learn. I want you to teach me. I want to understand. Can you help me? And then Jesus gets on common ground with Nicodemus. He says something that Nicodemus can relate to. He says in John, the third chapter, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Okay, now what's that about? Now we've gone off on the snake. I don't even know what he's talking about there, right? Okay, I'm going to explain it to you. Nicodemus is listening to him and he's going, well, okay, I know that story. Yeah, I got that one. I learned that one in school, okay? The nation was moving out of Egypt to the promised land. And they go through this area of the desert where all these poisonous snakes are. And they're get, some of them are getting bitten by poisonous snakes. Some of them are getting sick. Some of them are actually dying. And then this crazy thing happens that you can read about in the Bible. And Moses makes this bronze snake. And they put it on a pole, and he walks through the area, and everybody's safe, and they're okay now, and they can go through where the snakes are. Why are we talking about that? Well, I'm going to tell you. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, Nicodemus is listening. Nicodemus is smart. Nicodemus understands, and he sees that phrase, the Son of Man. 
And that's code for the Messiah. Wait a minute. You're telling me that the, the Messiah is here? Wait a minute. The Son of Man. That's a code for the one we've been waiting for. If you put a man on a pole, though, clearly that man is cursed by God. Because when they would see a man hang on a tree or a man impaled by a pole or a man hoisted up on a cross, it was a sign of a curse. Well, that wouldn't have happened. You know, God wouldn't have done that if they hadn't been bad people, okay? You're telling me that the Son of Man, the Messiah, he's going to suffer? That's not what we want to happen. That's not why he's, he's coming to free us. He's coming to deliver us. He's coming to take over and be in charge of everything. And now you're saying that he's going to suffer? I don't understand. I'm asking the question because I don't understand. And again, Nicodemus says, we know how to get eternal life. We've been taught about this all of our lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's how to have eternal life and keep the commandments. Are you telling me everybody is going to have access to the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Now I'm going to pause for a moment here because that's a lot to take in, all right? And so I'm, we're going to take this and hit pause on Nicodemus and Jesus because i got something else i got to tell you about real quick. It's very important to remember that much of Jesus' teaching would not make sense until after the resurrection. Okay? Stay with me on this. Matthew, Mark, and Mark, who spent time with Peter and Luke, who thoroughly investigated these things. John actually was an eyewitness. They're documenting what they saw and experienced or what other people saw and experienced. Now, all that wouldn't be documented until after the resurrection. So every once in a while in the Gospels, the writers will pause in the story and they will make comments about what was going on so that you can understand because you're reading it in live time. You don't know, but it's coming. It's coming to a place where you can understand it. Let me give you an example of that. Luke is quoting Jesus, and he's going to make this comment based on what's going on. Okay, it's Luke, the ninth chapter. And here's what it says. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. So Luke says, this is what Jesus said. Then Luke presses pause, and he tells his audience that what Jesus says. And then he adds this comment. But, this is Luke, not Jesus. But they did not understand what this meant. And then he jumps right back into the story. That's good storytelling. If you're a storyteller, you're telling the story, you're getting to a place where people are getting confused. You say, well, let me explain to you what's going on. Kind of like the serpent up on the stick, right? So, Because you're, you're going, why is that in there? How does that work? Okay, so now you understand. This was written exactly like somebody who was trying to get the facts out but keep their attention, okay? And the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus John documents all of this for us. He's telling us about a conversation between those two. And then he pauses the story so that we understand what's going on. Now, because Jesus is pointing to something that hadn't happened yet, it's a category, and it's a whole different ballgame. It's a category for suffering and for dying and being stuck up on a pole as a Messiah, and nobody was expecting that. This was, this was out of left field. They didn't understand. And John is telling us in his own words what Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus. But later, John realized what was going on. It came back to him as he's watching this. Nicodemus, whose whole world view was, when the Messiah comes, we're going to throw the invaders out, 
and then it's going to be the good old days like it used to be. And John adds, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So you see, he didn't just send Jesus for the Jewish people, although they were his chosen. He sent him for the whole world. So you don't become a Christian because of faith. You become a Christian because of evidence that points to facts that helps you step out in faith and become a Christian. Jesus said, count the cost. He said, I want you to understand when you commit to me, I want you to understand what you're doing, what you're saying. I want you to be fully aware. I don't want you just to half-heartedly say, okay. I want you to be in for it all the way, and I want you to know about it. And so he's saying to him, I want you to understand it. And, and so, you know, we think about faith, and we think, well, it's just blind faith, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, read your Bible, study it, ask questions, learn what you can learn, and then accept that because you see evidence of it. You see it, you can understand it, and you act on it in faith. Because after Jesus was crucified, John sees the cross. He sees that, and he said, cursed and abandoned by his own people. It's exactly what Jesus predicted would happen. When Jesus is dead, Nicodemus then risks his reputation once again. Now, I want you to notice Nicodemus is one of the guys. He's one of the power guys. He's in authority. He has a position. It's very, very dangerous for him to do what he's doing. But he's so convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, even though he doesn't understand everything, he risks his life. He and Joseph of Arimathea are complete believers now. The man deserves more than to have his body dumped on a pile with other bodies. They're thinking of Jesus after the crucifixion. So they go to Pilate and they say, we would like to have his body because it's against the law to bury the body of someone who's been crucified. And Pilate gives them permission to take the body. Now the sun's going down. It's, it's Friday, remember? Good Friday, we always celebrate Good Friday. Now, Saturday is the Sabbath. So when the sun goes down on Friday night, Sabbath begins. So they've got to hurry now and get Jesus' body. They've got to take it to the tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. Nobody's ever been placed in it. They've got to get Jesus' body inside the tomb. They've got to get some help to roll the stone in front of it so the animals don't go in there and destroy it, right? And Nicodemus is participating in this. He doesn't have all the answers. He's still got questions. But he says, listen, I know enough to know this. I know this guy's the son of God. I know this. I don't understand everything. I've got questions. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're sitting here and you go, you know, I read the Bible. And I go to church. And I've got a small group. And I talk to my friends about what I read. And I really want to believe. And I really want to follow God. I just don't understand it all. And, and I'm a, I got a scientific mind. And I'd like to understand more. I, I want my questions answered more. I don't know what to do. And if you're like Nicodemus, maybe you can say today, you know, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. But I know I was blind and now I see I know that God has opened up my eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. I know that Jesus was sent by God. I know he's the son of God. And I feel the Holy Spirit convicting me today, right now. And I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now that's the point of the gospel. Would you be willing to believe and receive? In the book of Romans, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart, and you confess with your lips the next four words even I can understand. 
you will be saved. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your lips, you will be saved. And I want you to know that God doesn't have any grandchildren. All he has is children. So if my mama's a Christian, I don't go to heaven by proxy. She can't answer for me. I have to answer for myself. Every person has to answer for him or herself to Jesus. And you have to receive him. You have to ask because we're all born separated from God because of the fall of man. And the only way to be united with him and be where he wanted us to be all along is to accept him. So he invites us. He gives us an invitation. He says, you come and follow me. And the disciples said, yeah, we'll do that. We've seen who you are. We've watched what you do. We want to go with you. It could be dangerous, but we want to go. And today you can go. You can be a disciple. And the invitation, it's only open to the Jewish people, right? It's for everybody. Look at the person next to you and say, it's for you. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Do what Nicodemus ultimately did and what John encouraged us to do. Believe and receive. Trust him as your Savior. You can receive Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray together right now. Father, we thank you that you give us your word. It's a love letter that you wrote to us so that we might know you and understand you, so that we might follow you and have a relationship with you. We're so grateful, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to be yours. Today, Lord, we may not have all the answers. We may not know everything that there is to know. We may not have all our questions answered. But today, Lord, we want to give all that we know to all that we know of you. And today we know enough and we feel convicted by the Spirit enough that we can believe that you are the Son of God. And we can receive you. We can accept you. We can confess it. Because we won't confess something we don't believe. But if we believe it, we can confess it. And when we confess it, it's real. And, and we can write that down in our Bibles. Today, at this time, on Labor Day weekend, on September the 5th, in church at Woodlawn, we made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And you can write that in the front of your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we can get you one. And you can go back to it when the devil shows up tomorrow. You can just point to that and say, read it and weep because it's right here in print. Now you've got to flee because I believe what God's word says. And then when we take a step toward God, we know the devil will take three toward us. And so, Lord, we just put ourselves in your hands. You're in control. You're in charge. And we want to trust you and walk with you and hold your hand every day. And when we fail, we're just going to confess our sins and we're going to move forward and we're going to celebrate what you have done, the freedom that you give us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all God's children said, Amen. Amen.